0: Good morning. So I had a a dream last night that went something like this. I dreamed that uh, I was preaching. Page one went great. Page two is missing. Page three and four were all jumbled together. I looked at Chip and I said, I think it's time you just sing some more songs. (laughs) Tom Ricks came up to me after the service and he said, I hope... uh, that what you charge Green Tree is going to be at a prorated price for that. (laughs) And I looked at him and said, you're not paying me to do this. (laughs) So here's to this going a lot better than my dream. The first thing that I did actually at 5.15 when I woke up in a cold sweat was uh, I put page numbers (laughs) on my notes. So... So if you've been uh, welcome, if if you're a visitor, welcome, if this is your first time, for those of you who uh, have been coming, maybe you just got back from family camp, got to see a lot of those pictures on Facebook and Instagram, Uh, so that's fun, and we probably should keep those that are still en route uh, in prayer. But if you've been coming the past few weeks, we've been talking about and going through the pillars of Green Tree, the core values of what makes Green Tree who we are, and last week we got to hear from Tom Warner about discipleship, and this week you get to hear from me about evangelism. And that just sent chills through the audience. (laughs) Now the bald guy is going to tell me that I have to go door-to-door and knock and have potentially very awkward conversations. Maybe, maybe that's what you're called to, but I'm going to look at it, sorry, this is um, not cooperating, there we go, maybe that'll work. Uh, I'm going to look at it from a different angle today. I'm going to look at evangelism from the aspect of mission. So when I say the word mission, what comes to your mind when you hear a company has a mission? What do you think about? Well, I looked it up online, uh, the dictionary. What does mission mean? And here's what it says. A mission is a a specific task or a duty assigned to a person or a group of people. So let me give you an example. About four months ago, Michael Porter, some of you might know him, myself, and, and a couple other people decided we were going to sign up for this Tour de Kirkwood, which is a sprint triathlon. You go and you swim 400 meters, you get out, you get on a bike, you bike 12 miles, you get off your bike, and you run three miles. Four months is plenty of time to not die doing that, to train enough to not die doing that. And we've, we've been training, you know, one thing at a time. And then yesterday we thought it'd be a good idea. Why don't we put two of these together and see what it's like? By the way, we were on a mission to complete this in an hour and 30 minutes. After, so yesterday we we did the bike and the run. And I'm happy to report, or not happy to report, but I'm here to report that the mission is in jeopardy. (laughs) I don't think we're gonna make an hour and 30. In fact, because I'm vain, I went online and looked up last year's results to see, okay, how am I gonna rate here? Am I gonna completely embarrass myself? Transition times between biking and running, eh, two to three minutes. Let's put it this way: our transition time, people will finish the run <laughs> and the amount of time that it took us to do this transition. Mission is, is life. We cook, we clean. We do science, we explore, uh, we investigate, we create. Businesses have mission statements. They have goals and objectives that back up their mission. It is central to what we do. But when it comes to why you and I exist, we don't really tend to think of it in terms of mission, do we? Let me put it this way. I believe that the American church can tend to separate how we do church from why the church even exists. And when I say church, I'm not talking about brick-and-mortar building. I'm talking about the people. So I I feel like in some ways we separate our ecclesiology from our missiology, if you will. But here's the problem, and the problem is this, is that mission isn't something that we just tack on to the end of church. Mission is central to why the church even exists. It's, It's at the very core of who we are. Tim Chester uh, puts it like this, mission is not one thing we do among others. Mission is central to the Bible story and central to our identity. We are missionary people. We are communities on a mission. So what I want to do today is I want to look at God's mission in the world. That's big. I want to look at how we fit into that. And then practically speaking, what does that mean for us? We're going to look at uh, how Jesus interacts with Zacchaeus to help us get some, um, some, a better idea of, okay, what does this mean for us in, in our lives? So uh, we're going to read Genesis chapter 1, verse 26 through 28 up here. Um, so here we go. Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. Uh, It's God's word, to him be the glory, let's let's pray. Lord, I pray that you would speak through me, I pray that you would remove me, that your truth would be spoken, that our hearts would be fertile ground for your word, that it would take root, that it would grow, that we would be a community on a mission, and that you would use us. It is in Jesus' name we pray, amen. So you might have heard or read Genesis 1, verses 26 to 28 before, and you might have even talked about it. You've probably heard sermons on it. Question, what does it really mean to be made in God's image? We tend to think of it as uh, in in an essence, in an essence form, like who we are, who we were made, how we are made in our very essence or ontologically uh, from our very being, we are made in God's image. So, for instance, God is spirit. We have a spirit. God is emotional. We have emotions. God is logical. Some of us are more logical than others. (laughs) And that's right. We are made, we are created in God's image in that way. But what a lot of us tend to overlook is that it's not just a, so, he created you like this. Go on with your merry life. It's, here's how I've created you. Now here's what I expect you to do because of it. So it's a, it's also a command. So in verse 26, or in 28, it says, Be fruitful. So because I made you in my image, be fruitful. Multiply. Fill the earth. So do it. Have dominion over the earth. So it's not just a command. So this command that he gives us is not just like this. All right. Go procreate, have a lot of babies. I mean, that's part of it, right? But there's more to it than that. At the center of this command is to multiply God's image. It's to multiply God's glory, his representation throughout the world. How do we, how do we have dominion over the earth? Well, how does God rule? How does God govern? He does it with truth, with grace, with love with loving uh, kindness, with patience, with mercy. So this is how we're to exercise our dominion over his creation. This is how we are to be his image in the world, reflecting his glory. So think about that for a second. We haven't even gotten to the part to where sin enters the world. This is a perfect world at this point. And God has already given man his Uh, Creation, mankind, us human beings, a mission. He didn't look down on his people and say, Oh, they must be really bored. Let me see what I can come up with to give them to do. No, he created us to fulfill and enter into his mission in the world. And that mission is to multiply his glory throughout the world. We are to rule with love and with truth and mercy and righteousness and holiness and grace. Folks, our God from the very beginning is a missional God, and he was on a mission, and we were created for that mission. <clears throat> the mission wasn't created for the church. Um, the church was created for his mission. Now, here's the thing. We messed that up, right? A little bit later, sin enters the world. So through Adam, we... Uh, we messed up. And all of a sudden, when sin enters the world, the mission isn't about glorifying God. It becomes about us. We want to glorify ourselves. Don't believe me? Turn to Genesis uh, What is that? Genesis 11, Tower of Babel. What are they trying to do at the Tower of Babel? At the Tower of Babel, the, instead of going out and ruling and having dominion and multiplying God's image throughout the world, they come together. They don't scatter, they come together. And they say, We're going to build a tower and we're going to make a great name for who? Ourselves. Not God. Ourselves. That's a problem. But even then, our sin didn't stop God's ultimate mission in the world. Because in his infinite wisdom, he is still on a mission to advance his glory and representation in the world through restoring. And redeeming the entire created order. And he does that, dot, 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 through Jesus Christ. I sent, Jer- you know, some of you know Jeremy Bean I sent Jeremy Bean Ball an email. I said, hey, give me what, anything you got on God's mission in the world, evangelism. So an hour later, an 18 wheeler backs up into my driveway, <laughs> dude, 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 dumps a thousand pages in my email. And I'm like, thanks, Jeremy. But within that, so so you know, I read like two pages, and there was uh, a line that I thought, man, this is great. I don't know if he came up with it. I don't know where he got it, but here it is. Uh, next slide. This is wordy, but powerful. So I'll read it twice. If through Christ God is working to restore His image in us. And mission is at the core of his image. Then to be restored in the image of God means or or image of God is to be given God's heart for his mission and his world. Again, if through Christ, God is working to restore his image in us and mission is at the core of his image. Then to be restored in the image of God is to be given God's heart for his mission in his world. So if you have been restored and redeemed through Christ, you have no other choice. Your heart should be for God's mission in his world. And as such, we should be a community that's on a mission, folks. God's mission is our mission, and his mission is to multiply his glory throughout the world by restoring and redeeming the entire created order. And that's a big mission. And some of us are going... How do I fit into that? I mean, that seems pretty pretty audacious, pretty big. So here's what I want to do. I want to look at how did Jesus enter into this mission uh, during his time on earth, and we're going to look at how he interacts with one person, a wee little man named Zacchaeus. So <clears throat> if you have your Bibles, turn to Luke chapter 19, verses 1 through 10. I'm going to read it. So he, being Jesus, Entered Jericho when he was passing through, and there was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and he was rich. And he was seeking to see who Jesus was. But on account of the crowd, he couldn't because he was small of stature. So he ran on ahead. He climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was about to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. So he hurried and came down and received him joyfully. And when they saw it, they all grumbled. He is gone to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor, and if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house since he is also a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. All right, so for starters, let's talk about who Zacchaeus is. We all know Zacchaeus probably isn't well-liked, right? I mean, he's a tax collector. The other day, I'm not going to get into the details, I had to go to the Department of Revenue. Department of Revenue, based out of Jefferson City, they have a satellite office here in St. Louis. I go into the Department of Revenue, and it's like walking into a doctor's office. Here's what I mean when I say that. You walk in, and there's a waiting room. And then you go to this place that's... Uh, has all the Department of Revenue people behind this plexiglass, probably bulletproof glass if I was to guess. Um, And you write your name down, and you go take a seat, and you wait for your name to be called. So there's like 20, 25 people sitting in this waiting room, waiting for their names to be called. And when it's your turn to do business with them, everybody listens, because they're all waiting. So it's my turn, and I go up there, and I'm having a disagreement, very polite, very loving disagreement with the Department of Revenue, and... Come to find out, they actually agreed with me. And so I'm feeling pretty good about myself. And so I turn around to go sit down, because now they have to process the paperwork and I have to wait on that. So I turn around to go sit down. And there were people in the waiting room that looked at me that were like, (laughs) as if to say, way to go, man, us versus them mentality, right? It's, It's the same way back then. There was an us-versus-them mentality uh, when it came to tax collectors. Nobody liked tax collectors, but here's the thing. He wasn't just a tax collector. He was a chief tax collector. Chief tax collectors worked for the Romans. The Romans were the occupying force and the hated oppressors of the day. So on top of that, the Romans didn't pay Zacchaeus or these tax collectors. These tax collectors were to go out and collect their own money for their own wages on top of the taxes for the Roman Empire. And they didn't govern how much they collected. They didn't care. So you can imagine, Zacchaeus collected a lot of money, and he became very wealthy and very powerful. So think with me. Here you have a tax collector, whammy one, and he's working for the enemy or collaborating for the enemy, whammy two. Nobody liked this guy. Nobody. But, and here's the big but, he was eager. He was curious. He heard a celebrity was coming to town, and he wanted to see who this guy was. So the big, powerful, big, uh, not size-wise, but powerful, wealthy Zacchaeus goes ahead of the crowd, sees a tree, Climbs up it. Question, when was the last time you saw a wealthy, powerful individual act like a boy and climb a tree? Anybody? No. My kids were climbing a tree uh, the other day when we were in Colorado, and there was two other kids climbing the tree. I never saw an adult get in the tree. No, it just doesn't happen. Now, given that context, let's look at the interaction Uh, between Jesus and Zacchaeus, and we're going to notice three things. We're going to notice that Jesus treats Zacchaeus with respect, with honor, and with grace, okay? So immediately, right out of the gate, Jesus dignifies Zacchaeus. He shows him respect. He immediately restores Zacchaeus's sense of worth and his value. He ignores all the social exterior garbage that's going on. He sees that Zacchaeus is searching, that he's curious, And he calls him by his name, Zacchaeus. He didn't say, hey, dude, up in the tree? Yeah, you, the one that's ripping off all these people? Hey, let's go have a talk. He didn't say, hey, scumbag, get down here. We need to have a chat. No, he says, Zacchaeus, hey, come down. He looks past the social status. He looks past how other people see he even looks back past how other people are going to view him in the process jesus recognizes that even this despised man bears the image of god and is eager to learn more about him jesus doesn't keep his distance from the wretched from the outcast from the sinful from the dirty do we when we see someone of that stature do we keep them at arm's length? I do. Most of the time. Are we, let's take it a little bit further. Are we in tune enough with the Holy Spirit to know? Do we know our neighbors well enough to know when they're looking or they're eager or they're seeking or they're curious? All it takes is to be purposeful and intentional. And reach out to someone. Hey, how was your vacation? How was your day? Hey, we'd love to have you over for pizza. Uh, We have pizza night on Wednesday. Cool? Come over. It's not hard, but unless we're intentional and respectful, we're going to miss opportunities. And by the way, there's two things that need to be noted about being created in God's image. Um, One is that because everybody is made in God's image, they all deserve respect. I don't care who they are. They could be the worst person in the world. They could be your total enemy. They all deserve respect. Nothing gets under my skin or in the south under my crawl. Um, Like when my boys, I have three boys, are disrespectful because it's unacceptable. Everybody's made in God's image and they all deserve to be respected. Two, because they're made in God's image and they live in God's created world that God said, hey, all of this is good, those are two things they can't get away from or that we can't get away from. And therefore, we can always find something redemptive about people. Always. It might be that they have a heart for the poor. Guess what? Jesus had a heart for the poor. It might be, here's a good example, my aunt. My aunt loves the stars, the planets, the moon, the galaxy. If she could be an astronaut at age 60, she would. She's the only person in the world that I know. That watches the NASA channel. She will call me. Nope, I'm not not lying. She calls me and I'm going to do my best, (coughs) my aunt's best voice. Um, Lance, hey, I just wanted you to know that the Apollo Mercury Orbital Sander is, I made that up, I don't know, but Orbital Sander, if you work in construction, is going to be launching today. Uh, from Cape Canaveral at 2 o'clock. I think you and the boys should watch it. will be on the national channel. She's the only person that does that. I don't know who watches this stuff. She loves it. And you know what? When God created everything, the world, he looked at it and he said, it is good. And because of that, I love uh, looking for ways that I can use what she loves as a bridge to have a meaningful gospel-centered conversation with her and that is what we should all be looking for in people that we interact with just find a bridge something redemptive that we can talk to them about in a respectful way okay but beyond respect he shows him honor so think about this here is the son of god jesus honoring a chief tax collector crazy he does it also in a very uh, precarious way. So here's what he says. He says, Zacchaeus, hey, hurry, come down. I must stay at your house today. Now, we might be, might be thinking, well, that's, that's pretty bold, pretty audacious. What? Really? He invited himself to his house? Really? Um, I mean, how many people would be okay if, like, this afternoon someone walked up to you and was like, hey, hey, Joe, hey, cool if I come over for dinner tonight, right? Six, six work? Yeah, good. Odd. It doesn't happen. It'd be so awkward. But there was more going on behind the scenes socially that we don't know about that you kind of need to know about. So here's what was going on. So Zacchaeus would never invite a Jew over to his house. It would be instant shame on him because no self-respecting Jew would go into his house and especially not a self-respected Jewish leader. It would be worse than going into a Gentile's home. So nobody's going to go into Zacchaeus' house. That's why Zacchaeus would never ask Jesus to do that. So Jesus has to do that himself, and that's why it's not awkward. He has to invite himself into Zacchaeus' house. Oh, by the way, much to the amazement and chagrin of everybody in the crowd, what what was their response? They grumbled. They murmured. They did not like it. But Jesus does it gladly, as if to say, well, yeah, why wouldn't I invite myself to go into this person's house? And when you understand what God's mission is in the world, it makes perfect sense why Jesus would want to invite himself to go into Zacchaeus' house. Because Jesus is in the business of restoring and redeeming people, all kinds of people. There's nothing more honoring to Zacchaeus that Jesus could have done Uh, Than to extend that invitation and we also must honor those who are dishonest that are corrupt that are wicked even when we disagree with them. We need to seek out ways to lift them up to edify them to show them you have value. And it flies against the me culture that we live in because it requires us to put them first. It requires us to serve them. That doesn't come naturally. Um, one of the things I love about 2028, 2028 is a service project that we do, is that you have a chance, or we have a chance as a, as a community, to go and serve people, but it shows them we value you, and we should be doing that all the time. But beyond the respect, beyond the honor, Jesus also shows Zacchaeus grace. J- the very act of Jesus going into Zacchaeus's home was uh, was in and of itself, an act of grace. Do you generally go into a person's home that's hated, that's despised, that's dirty? Of course not. Probably not. You might be a lot better than me, but I don't, okay? Jesus doesn't keep himself uh, away, or doesn't distance himself away from sinners, and it causes a stir. And Jerem Bars puts it this way, and he thinks, Jerem Bars says, this is why it causes a stir. He says this, What is so shocking and unacceptable to the crowd is that Jesus desires to have intimate fellowship with sinners. He joyfully goes into their home. He joyfully invites himself to be their guest. But even more than that, he eats with them. Eating with people is an act of intimacy. Always has been in every culture. Always will be. The Lord invites us to uh, partake in the Lord's Supper. And eventually, we're going to um, uh, sit at his table at the marriage supper of the Lamb. And it's because of this that Jesus' behavior is seen as scandalous. And quite frankly, it's still seen that way in our society. But Jesus puts all the speculation aside. He puts all the gossip aside. He pursues, he seeks out Zacchaeus and invites himself over to his house for dinner. And he went. And it's, of course, this respect, this honor, and this grace That Jesus showed Zacchaeus that moved him to repentance. Now, I'm not going to get into all the details behind why he chose to pay what he chose to pay in return. Let's just say this. Based on all the customs and the laws that were on the books back then, it's clear that uh, Zacchaeus regarded his defrauding the people as the worst kind of theft possible. And after his interaction with Jesus, Zacchaeus saw how deep his sin was, and he desired repentance. And isn't this what happens when someone comes face to face with the Lord and is moral perfection full of grace? The story ends with this statement. He says, the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. He didn't come to just mingle with sinners. He came to know them in an intimate way. He came to restore and redeem the broken relationship that exists between God and God. And man, he came to fulfill the promise in Ezekiel 34, and this did not fall on deaf ears to the Jewish people around him. When he says, I came to seek and to save the lost, they knew what he was saying because of Ezekiel 34. Listen to what it says. For thus says the Lord God, behold, I, I myself, will search for my sheep, and I will seek them out. I will seek out my sheep. I will rescue them. I myself will be the shepherd of my sheep, and I myself will make them lie down declares the Lord God, I will seek the lost and I will bring back the strayed. That, folks, is a bold statement. And it doesn't fall on deaf ears to the Jewish people because what he's saying is he's saying this, I am the Lord. I am the shepherd. I have come to restore and redeem the relationship that was broken between mankind and God. I am the redeemer. And I have come to save those who are lost, those who have strayed away from me, those who are unclean, the outcast, the despised, the dirty. Isn't that us? Aren't we the outcast? Aren't we the dirty? Aren't we the despised? Aren't we the chief tax collectors? Because we fail to love the very one who gave his life for us. We flagrantly disobey his commands. We live lives of wanton pleasure. And to hear that Jesus desires an intimate fellowship with us can be unsettling. Because we know who we are. You know your baggage. I know my baggage. I know my garbage. God knows it all too. But it can also be the most freeing thing that you will ever hear because Jesus, here's what he does. He sets aside his outrage. He doesn't count our sins against us. He counts our sins against himself. He calls us by our name. He invites himself over to our place to have fellowship with us and to restore the broken relationship between us and God. So this morning... You might be curious, you might be eager, you might be like Zacchaeus. Please know, Jesus longs to show you that respect, honor, and grace that he showed Zacchaeus. And after the service, there'll be people up here in our prayer team love to talk to you. I would love to talk to you. Come find us out. You also might be someone who's already in an intimate relationship with Christ. And you've seen firsthand how God has justified you, how he has restored you, how he has redeemed you. And if that's the case... Here's my charge. Get in on the mission, God's mission. Don't be the people who grumble, the people who murmur on the sideline. Be the, be the people. Let's be the people that live our lives purposely and intentionally, the one who initiates the conversations, the one who initiates those relationships. You want to see St. Louis change? You want to see Kirkwood change? You want to see your neighborhood be transformed? Through the Holy Spirit working in us, we can be that we can be an agent of restoration. We can allow God to work through us for his glory, for the fulfillment of his mission in the world. But we have to be intentional with those people that God has placed in our life, our neighbors, our co-workers, parents on the children's baseball team, near. Uh, the other board of directors on the board that you serve on, your running club, your, your book club, whatever. Very simply put, live your life, invite others to live it with you. And in so doing, no matter who they are, treat everyone with respect, honor, and grace the same that he showed Zacchaeus, and ultimately the same that he showed us. Let's be a community on a mission. Let's pray. Lord, we're grateful for your mission. <clears throat> we're grateful that you give us the opportunity to enter into it. I pray that we would be a people that is moved to action, a people moved to enter in to your mission. Because of how you have made us, because of what you have done for us, God, all the glory to you. Work in us through your Holy Spirit. Nudge us. May we be obedient to your word. We love you. Jesus, thank you for dying on our cross, on the cross for our sins. It is in your name we pray. Amen.